Hi, this is Paul, and this is Rough Draft for Sunday, where I run through what I got so far for Sunday. Last week I noted, after my conversation with Martin Shaw, which is now up in my channel, that Jesus roars through this thing, through the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. But, but he's not roaring like we would imagine Thor to roar with a hammer and destroying his enemies. He's, he's upsetting a status quo kingdom, and it's... It's happening in all sorts of ways that are subtle and yet unnerving and yet that continue to draw our attention even 2,000 years later through the words of this gospel. The beginning of chapter 2, he heals a paralytic who, who busted up his roof. Um, then he calls a tax collector and he eats with sinners and gets criticized for that. And then his disciples glean on the Sabbath, and when the Pharisees object, he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. So then he shows up in the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand, and he basically knows that everybody's very peculiar about the Sabbath because of their culture war, and he says, would it be okay if I heal him? And he does. And they're upset still. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians would have been their political adversaries. They could agree Jesus needs to go. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. All over the region, people are making their way to see Jesus. He's both disturbing and absolutely attractive, and they just don't know what to do with him. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. They just thought, if I could just get my hands on him, then maybe that power will come and heal me. And so they're pressing to him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him, which obviously failed. When Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. What a nuisance. Now, many believe that the Gospel of Mark, Mark was a disciple of Peter. And, and so these are, I think part of the reason the Gospel of Mark is so fierce is that Peter remembers this in, as an eyewitness. And he, he knew the feeling of it, and he understood it, and this comes through in the story. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. And they just think, you know, this, is, this has gotten way, way out of hand. His, his behavior is just so engaging and disturbing. And, and they just didn't know what to make of his actions. So we, we've just got to get this under control. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. 
People only tolerate so much chaos and disruption and sort of a breaker goes off in their head and they grasp at rationality and control mechanisms. You might remember back two sermons ago when we looked at clean and unclean and, and whole and well and, and demon possession and all of those issues. And, and so people grasp at, well, it, it must be demon possession, but this isn't how all the other demon-possessed people behave. They had all seen that, and 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 this wasn't Jesus. These demon-possessed people don't run around the countryside curing blindness and deafness and, and giving, giving strength back to the lame so that they can walk. That's not what demons do. Jesus was so disrupting the status quo kingdom, all contenders for dominance of that kingdom are looking to take control of the situation, or at least frame it so they can hope to regain control. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Herodians, we don't know a lot about them, but we assume that they're sort of aligned with the client state and the family. Everybody just wanted, don't trouble the equilibrium, please. Even if it's at the expense of hundreds of people being cured of blindness, leprosy, and lameness. And then we get our first mention in the, par in, in, the par in the Gospel of Mark of parables. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. And what's really interesting to me is that the, most of the parables we're going to read are usually the parables we think about. But Jesus calls this a parable, and that's so interesting. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. He's, his end has come. Now remember, Jesus had been healing, driving out demons. So the healing and the exorcisms are all part of a package. And Jesus is pointing to that and saying, basically what I just said, Demons don't heal people. I do. Demons aren't going around restoring the lives of the lepers. I am. In fact, the demons themselves much go. You think this is Satan's work? This is in no way aligned with Satan's work. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is plundering the status quo kingdom. He has taken Satan by the throat and he's saying, I'm taking all of this back. You have to get away. And he's doing it. And people don't know what to think. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And now this has caused lots of people consternation. But in the context, well, what Jesus is saying is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't call it the work of Satan. So in the next section, Jesus comes home, can't even eat in the house. The family tries, in this section that I just read, the family tries to take control of the situation, fails, Jesus is possessed by the king of the demons. Well, this is wrong. The parable of the kingdom divided cannot stand. It's our first parable. And then, they, then they're back to the, the Pharisees. He has an impure spirit. No. And then Jesus and brothers, Jesus' mothers and mother and brothers arrive looking for him to maybe take control of the situation. 
And he says, Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Well, what does that mean? It means that something new, we saw talked about the wineskins last week, something new has arisen. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out there on the sea. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Okay, now everybody, you know, everybody can chill and let's talk. Let me, let me talk about what is going on. But remember, he's doing this in parables and it's like, why? And we have all of this dissonance that we saw before. I'm going to heal you, but don't tell anybody. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to free you from demons, but don't tell anybody. What do you mean don't tell anybody? Don't tell anybody because none of this is rolling out in the way that you think it should. But it is rolling out in the way that it should. Because the kind of change I'm going to bring upon you and upon your land is not what you immediately imagine it should be. So he taught them many things by parables. And what we get here in the Gospel of Mark, it's the briefest of the Gospels, is basically a summary. It's not an exhaustive list of all his parables. It's basically a summary. And the structure here is, is pretty clear. You've got parables of sort of the seeding of the kingdom, of the kingdom going out, and then a parable about the way the kingdom grows, and then a parable about what the kingdom will finally yield. And, and it it's actually comes in a very compact way. The Gospel of Mark is very compact. Remember, Jesus starts these parables in the midst of death threats, popularity he's trying to avoid, questions about his cleanliness and his sanity. And the first parable was Satan's kingdom, a house divided. He's looking around saying, you see what's happening here. This is clearly not Satan. This is clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to tell you about the kingdom, about how it goes out, and about what that will look like, about what it will mean for the kingdom to grow, and then what the kingdom will finally yield. I'm plundering the strong man's house. Sit back and watch. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a funny story. It's a very believable story. People would have watched that story play out again and again and again all around them. Jesus is telling them that what's a, what, what, about to, what is about to happen will be in some ways like everything they've always seen, but in some, like, some ways like nothing they've ever seen. I remember when my friend the rice farmer was here. And he passed away a few years ago. And I'd often talk to him about these parables. And he'd say, yeah, you know, 30 is a really good harvest. A hundred? Wow. Now, like many parables, 
there's a sense in which you immediately get it. And for most of you, I've heard this parable before and the interpretation, you sort of get it. But what's interesting is that getting it doesn't really exhaust it. And, and what's also interesting is that it's often called the parable of the seed or the parable of the sower, but it's, in many ways it's the parable of the soils. And only one quarter of the named soils actually produce a harvest. And the harvest it produces, the, 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 var the, the, the potency of the harvest might be even greater because just a tiny little bit, tiny amount of people tend to produce almost all the fruit. Now, this is, known as, this is known as a Pareto distribution, and it's sort of like the 80-20 rule. In any office, usually 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In a church, 20% of the people give 80% of the money. In, in, a, in, in, in just a tiny little number of authors, write almost all the books that make money. It, it, you see this throughout nature. You see this throughout people. It's a very fascinating dynamic. And Jesus basically says, the same is true here. I cast it broadcast, but just a few people are going to produce abundant fruit and a whole lot of the rest of them, well, maybe no fruit or a little at all. Uh, a few months ago, someone pointed out to me a podcast in which a man named David Perel was being interviewed. And I didn't know the man. I didn't know the podcast, but somebody who listens to my podcast pointed it out to me. And he said, this is sort of the way it's like being Christian in the West. On one hand, everyone's a Christian. And Tom Holland, in a sense, sort of says that. We're all deeply moved by Christianity and deeply formed by Christianity. Christianity is, is everywhere. But, but you really only find a tiny number of Christians that, that sort of exhibit this in kind of the power that it is. It's sort of like the Pareto principle. It's like the parable of the soils. It, it, it scales. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, I've just talked to you about a Pareto principle and all of this. You can find all of this on the internet. The Bible is the most published book in all of human history. None of it's a secret, yet how many understand it? And, and this is this weird duality. So often in our culture, we imagine, well, if you just explain it to someone, then they'll get it. No, that's, that's really hardly the case. It's often the case that I find something that I, I had listened to or read before, and I read it again, and it's like, I didn't understand it before, but there it is now. I see it. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And well, doesn't God want that? This is exactly what God says to Isaiah. And it's exactly what we saw in the parables. That, that somehow, in, in both the belief and disbelief, God is working through his plan. And, and we wonder what this plan is. But this is what he's doing. It's, it's a secret, but it's an open secret. It's, it's plain to all, but only a few see and understand. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? And this is where, we again, we see the hapless disciples. The farmer sows the word, the logos, it goes out. Some people are like seed along the path where the, where the logos is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the logos that was sown in them. 
Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Logos, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the Logos, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the Logos. They get interested for a while, but then there's the churn, and off they go someplace else. Oh, lost interest. Now I'm on to this other thing. Oh, isn't that cool? Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, receive the Logos, accept it, and it produces a crop. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. It might have been just been a tiny little thing that came in, and now suddenly it's all over the place. It's, 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 the Logos has reproduced itself unimaginably through just a tiny bit of soil. While all that other logos fell on all that other soil, it didn't do anything. They, then he said, Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, haven't you been telling people to keep this thing quiet? Yeah, and look what's been happening. Well, haven't you told people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release you of this demon, but don't tell anybody, and everybody knows about it. The light has gone out. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Be careful with your judgments. This is exactly what he says about judgments, you'll know. And even more. Whoever has been given more, more will be, um, who, um, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this again is the soils. It's the Pareto principle. That little group that will produce abundantly. And the others that have just sort of, Satan's plucked it away, or the soil was shallow, or they get distracted. They won't have anything. And say, well, is this is this is this right? It's the way it is. The light has to be received. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel on the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What does this mean? The seed goes in and you think, well, I'll be able to spot the soils right away, will you? How do you know what's growing? You might not even know what's growing inside yourself, but it's growing. And, and so the word of God comes in and is sown, and, it, and, and then before you know it, Look, there's a harvest. I was expecting it over there. It was growing and I didn't even know it. And then comes the harvest. And then comes taking all that soil, all that seed, and what's going to happen with that seed? It's going to be cast out again. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? You need a picture. It is like the mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. Now notice, the seed is hardly seen. 
Its, it's germination is hardly known. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now this is an image from the book of Daniel. This is a symbolism from the Old Testament. And it's also in, in other mythological stories where the tree, which connects heaven and earth, and the birds are the, are the nations, they come and build their homes. In fact, this little seed goes out into the world, gets multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until it becomes the very structure in which habitable order in the world is found. Your estimations of what is important are probably wrong. It is the small that will govern the future. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using parables because even the parables, it, it has exactly that same quality as telling people, don't tell anybody about this. It's the same, same quality. It's like it's mysterious. I, I'm looking for things I can wield. No, that's not how this goes. But he, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. And yet they were hapless. Now, is this what you're looking for? You're probably saying, no, I wanted, I, 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 I wanted something nice in a box that I could manage, that I could deploy according to my, according to what I would imagine should be done. And so then it would all proceed according to exactly how it was planned. And, and with my intentionality, everything would go right. Oh, I, I understand that that's what you wanted. But. That's usually not how the world works, and it's not how the kingdom grows. Jesus is so unsettling and disturbing. Warring political factions both want him dead. Religious leaders think he's crazy, immoral, demon-possessed. Even his family thinks things are getting out of hand. And then he speaks in parables. You might remember a sermon I preached on Aporia. It sort of breaks us. It, it, the, the frame is broken and we have to see new things and think in new ways because something has happened here. Only a few will get it, but it'll grow unnoticing and it will colonize, refresh, resource, and totally remake the world. And in all three, year, all three years from this point in the story, it'll all seem to fall apart. But doesn't that fit with everything we've seen so far? One of the great moments in my conversation with Martin Shaw was when he said, talking about what God had done, he smashed up my love life, he smashed up my finances, he smashed up my friendships. I could go on and on. Yet if you ask him, there's no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus, just like the song says. It would seem three years later the political factions would win. The popularity in the crowds, they would abandon him. Oh yeah, remember when he did this? His words would be in the hands of his hapless disciples. What are they going to do with it? The Spirit would come, and he's worshipped by billions today. And I'd argue his influence is wider still. All of these parables, they're about the way things are. And they've also come true. 
even though very much according to Peter the eyewitness, we didn't understand anything. So, do you have ears to hear? Are you willing to risk hearing his roar? Is he growing quietly in you, among you, around you? Do you see the strange here and not here nature of his kingdom? Because it cannot be resisted. Amen.